This week on Moms Moving On. The most difficult aspect of divorce, honestly, is the fact that you are called upon to make these truly important decisions in your life. And you are going to make them at a time when you're practically insane with emotion. If you go into it as if your future is this black void and you're just going to deal with that when you get there, then you're going to end up negotiating your entire divorce in that black void. And if you know what you would like to see in that future, you can negotiate a divorce that actually helps you get there. So think forward. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. We are rocking and rolling this week. I think this is the fourth podcast we're recording, but either way, it's all for a good cause because I am here to help you and I have the perfect guest today for you. She's a divorce attorney, but she's also really big on social media, sharing knowledge, sharing information to help people navigate divorce, for lack of a better term. She is the divorce done well queen. She's divorced and beyond. She is. She has her own podcast, which I was on last year. Thank you for being my podcast guru, Susan Guthrie, ESQ. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Michelle. It's been so nice to have our sort of lives intertwine over and over again, ever since we first connected last year. Or whenever that was that last year? I don't even remember. I think it was last year and it was Instagram. So yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and now something I know you're amazing at, and I know my listeners would want to definitely learn from you about would be the negotiation process when creating a parenting plan or a marriage settlement agreement. But before we dive into all that, why don't you give us like the Susan Guthrie intro elevator pitch backgrounds? Uh, just so a little about me. I am one of those people I well like most, right? I hate talking about myself, but I, the relevant portions, um, I've been a divorce attorney for 30 years. Um, although I hesitate to say that because it ages me, um, or lets people know what my age is. You must've started started when you were four then. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) I was a prodigy. No, no, I've been at this for a long time, 30 years or so. And, you know, I've done it all. I started out as a litigator, did that pretty successfully for 20 plus years, and then segued over to what I consider a better way, which is mediation, and then turned to online mediation when I started moving around the country. And so now I'm considered one of the leading experts in online mediation, which has been very helpful to me during the current uh, pandemic situation. Yes, I was ready to go and many of my colleagues wanted to learn how to go. So actually a large part of what I do right now is help other professionals transition to an online practice. So clients from anywhere in the country can contact you for mediation? Uh, not any, I mean, and I actually work with people all around the world, but it's on a coaching basis. I really only do or did mediations in the two states in which I'm licensed to practice law, which are Connecticut and California. Connecticut and California. Got it. Okay. So a lot of people will insist, right? Especially when they're in the beginning of their separation process and, and 
each party has just hired a lawyer and things are contentious and the blame game is still happening. And he said, she said in the angry texts, a lot of people will claim there is no negotiating with their ex. And people that I'm working with now, my clients are saying, I need to learn how to not be scared because this process is so scary and my ex is so manipulative or my ex will send me a text that makes me shut down and then I'm just inclined to give him whatever he wants to avoid a fight. How do you advise people through this? Yeah, you know, negotiation is one of those things for people, especially under the emotional content of divorce that can seem like an insurmountable thing. Um, But it's really... It's the same for any negotiation that you might go into. You really, it's all in the preparation. The the actual negotiation itself, if you have properly prepared for it, the negotiation itself should proceed, you know, I mean, especially if you have some help with like a mediator or your attorney, but it should proceed fairly, um, you know, down a regular path. But the problem for almost everyone going into a divorce is they don't do the preparation they need to do before they they go into that mediation or into that negotiation, or they sit down at the kitchen table with their ex to talk about this stuff. Um, And then, yeah, it's hard because you don't even really know where you're trying to go. So many people just go in, and and I was talking to a, a colleague about this today, I just want what's fair or I just want the, you know, what's best for the kids. Well, that is such a non, you know, nebulous thing to try and achieve. Well, what is best for the kids? You actually need to know what you think is best for the kids and why. And I find, and I know I did this myself and I own up to it. I am so naturally avoidance of confrontation that I was just like, meh, sure, that's fine. I was so scared to think long-term, which I had to backpedal a lot before we finished because as things got closer to the end and my attorney would ask me questions like, is this something you can live with until your child is 18? Or what if your ex starts to make more money than you? You know, things things like that. And things I didn't want to have to think about and broach because I don't, I wasn't well prepared at all. I didn't know from Adam. I, I, I just, I just wanted to get through it. And I think a lot of people try to rush themselves through it. And then they're stuck with these post-judgment issues that they're fighting over and nothing's changing for them. So how would you advise someone to prepare? You know, the first thing that you need to do is do your research on the particular topic that's going to be negotiated, right? So if we're talking about parenting plans, the very first thing you should do is know that there is no set template for a parenting plan, right? That one of the good things about our our family law in most areas is that it's governed by what's in the best interest of the children. But there are certain, you know, different formulas, I would say, or, you know, perhaps possible plans that you should know what they are and you should think about whether they're going to work for your family. So it's not like you're magically going to understand what a 223 is or a 225, which I can see you nodding because, right, you've now been in this world. So you know what those are. I Right, but I didn't. And when we started talking about, you know, when we started talking about time sharing, I'll tell you, I come from, you know, the old school divorce. My parents were divorced. It was, I saw my dad Wednesday nights for dinner and every other weekend. And I just assumed, silly me, that it would be the same thing. So then it was like three, four split, two, two, three, 80, 20, like all of these 
math equations that I was like, wait a second, I, I hadn't heard from this. And I was like, could there be a handbook or something, you know, that I can. So I was constantly Googling and trying to figure out what was best. And it was so hard to decide what was best when I didn't, I didn't even know what, what I should be doing. And that made negotiating all the more difficult. Well, absolutely. Right. Because you're starting almost with no, a blank slate and really that's that's not helpful either, right? All the possibilities in the world is too many possibilities. So going into a negotiation, you want to do that research. There, I, I love that you were Googling. That's where pretty much everyone starts doing their research. There are some great websites out there that have you know, sort of templates for parenting plans and discuss the different plans that are possible, things like a 223 or a 225 or an every other week or what bird nesting is. I actually have that episode coming out on my show soon. You know, what that looks like. You know what and, looks like to me in my head? No, thank you. That's what it looks like to me in my head. Well, that's, you know, I, that was my reaction and I'm a 30 year divorce attorney, right? I'd never had a family do it. The woman that I interviewed has been bird nesting with her ex-husband for six years. Her three children have never left the marital residence. They have always lived there. It's amazing. Don't get me wrong. And they love it. Yeah. Listen to the episode, see what you think. I just found it interesting. But what I'm saying is, and I love that you say not for you. That's exactly what we're talking about. You need to know that going into a negotiation. Well, here's, you know, having looked at the possible options, here's what I think might work best for our children. And here are my reasons why. The other thing specific to parenting plans that I think people need to look at are the practicalities. You need to sit down and look at what the actual parent time is to be available to be a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is not to say that if a parent goes to work, that they they shouldn't have the children during that time. You know, the children need to spend regular and consistent time with both parents is the general theory of parenting. But Looking at, you know, a schedule where maybe you have, I've had firefighters who work, you know, three days on and five days off, that sort of starts to give you some structure. If they're three days on, they're not available those three days. So maybe that starts to give you something to look at. Someone who travels a lot for business, that might give you some parameters to start working with. So someone who is a teaching and gets out of work at two o'clock, maybe that starts to give you some clues as to what might work for that family. Because I think it's, it, it is, you know, people come to me asking questions all the time. What should my parenting plan be? And I'm like, it is so personal and so unique to the couple that is uncoupling that it's so hard to give advice. And I think that's so important. It's really start from the inside. How does your life work on a daily basis? Because right, changing, and how does it work for your kids? Right, changing it for them. This is hard enough for them as it is. So to put them on a schedule where... You know, I know people who the father wanted 50-50, but he works till seven o'clock at night. So there's a babysitter picking up and being with the kid and the kid can't see the mom on that day. And it's just so unfortunate that people get stuck on this notion of we need to have the same amount of time rather than what's going to be the best for my child as per the time I can give my child. And that becomes... 
you know, very, very emotional and problematic for parents going into a parenting plan, right? Especially when one parent is concerned about being marginalized in their children's lives, right? Most of us, when we and we're in an intact family, we see our children whenever we're in the house and the children are in the house. But suddenly people are faced with this very scary notion of going for extended periods of time, whether it be 24 hours to a week or whatever, the parenting plan is of not seeing their children on that way. And it can become truly like an emotional fear. It's crippling and it's very hard to look at and contemplate it from anything other than our own internal pain around that concept. And that isn't what this is about. I know that hurts. I know that's scary. I know that's uncomfortable, but you said the words, it's really what's best for your children. Not, you know, the the two words I always tell clients or told clients when we were discussing parenting plans and if they were ever going to be in front of a judge or talking to a custodial evaluator or you know someone in family relations or a, a counselor i always said never say i want i want more time with my kids i want this i want that i need to see my kids more it is not about you it should be it is i think it is best or i believe it is best for my children that And almost everyone says, I want. I'm a big fan of reframing. And that's like the ultimate reframing right there. And I wish I also advice. I wish I, I knew because when my daughter was two and I was negotiating my parenting plan, I just wanted her all of the time. I, I want to be able to change her diaper and put her to bed. I want to be able to drop her off at school because of her attachment to me. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want without looking at it from the other perspective, not that I wasn't putting her first, but wow, there's a powerful shift there. And it, I, I would imagine uh, at the negotiation table or in mediation or in emails back and forth between both parties, it takes the edge off a little bit when, when the other party reads it, you know, and turn, instead of your ex just wants all of these things, it's your ex wants your child to have these things. And I can imagine that softens the blow. Well, and that's, it's actually, here's an insider tip. And this is a really powerful tool when you are talking to your ex about parenting, especially if you put things in terms of, I know how important it is to us both that little Sally or Billy or, you know, the kids, you know, don't suffer through this or they have the stability. I know how important it is to you. I know how important it is to us that the children have this. So here's what I was thinking. You have now phrased it in a way that it is what your suggestion is, is going to something that they absolutely can't say, no, I don't want what's best for little Billy. Of course, I don't want what I want. I want what I want. If you phrase it in a way like, I know how important it is to you that Mm -hmm. Billy have stability in all this. So I'm suggesting that I get him off the bus. And then, you know, at seven o'clock when you're done with work, you pick him up then. But he spent his time from school to seven at my house. So he has, you know, stability every day after the bus. You know, you've now phrased it in a way because I've heart, I don't think I've ever had a case in 30 years where. You couldn't get both parents to at least say they agreed they wanted what was best for their kids. Right. No one ever comes in and says, no, I don't want that. 
So if you can get them to agree on that, or you can use that when you're talking to your ex, as opposed to, I, I, want, I don't want him sitting with a babysitter. I want him with me. I want, I want. That is not very compelling to your ex. Wow. Susan Guthrie, you are amazing. There's the insider tip, everyone. <laughs> That's it. It's done. Good night. Yeah. Hey guys, Michelle here. I hope you are loving this episode as much as I am. We'll be back with more, but first, a word from our sponsor. Divorce is never easy, and when children are in the picture, it can be extra tricky, especially when communicating with your ex is a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. FAIR helps eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. In the long run, creating a loving environment for your kids. Here's what you can do on the FAIR app. There's a time-sharing calendar to track custody, exchange days, and never forget those special events. Documentable text messaging. And an expense tracker so both parents can add and monitor expenses, track receipts, and add notes. GPS check-in, that's a court-verifiable way to document your presence at all GPS-verified locations. A monthly parenting report to download with your details. A private journal to take notes, add photos, and screenshots. A file vault to keep your records, photos, and documents organized and in one place. The opportunity to export all of your records into a convenient, time-and-date stamped PDF when you need documentation for legal matters. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. FAIR allows you to experience co-parenting in a totally new way. Simply, inexpensively, transparently, and fairly. Lose the he said, she said, and be the best parent you can be. Be F-A-Y-R FAIR. Subscribe at BeFAIR.com. That's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com. And then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. Go to FAIR.com for more details. Don't forget to use the code MICHELLE to save 20% off the cost of the app. Here's my question, because in terms of being prepared, you know, I'll have people ask me, even though we're fighting like cats and dogs, should I sit down with my ex and try to come up with ideas ahead of time? Should we come together before, before we let our attorneys go at each other? Would you advise that? Or is it very easy to be manipulated in that time where you're still very fresh out of your divorce or your separation? You know, I think it depends on the couple. And I'm sorry, that's a typical lawyer answer, but it does depend. What I would say is if you feel that you can sit down with your ex, and um, I'm actually glad we're talking about this because I wanted to mention something you said earlier. If you think you can sit down with your ex and actually have a constructive conversation and not be in a situation where you're just going to cave because you want it to be over with, and you want to move on because that's actually one of the most harmful things that can happen in a negotiation is when someone, I call it the retread, uh, you know, you say, sure. Okay. Yes. I agree to that. And then when your lawyer says to you, are you sure you can live with that until your child's 18 and you go back and say, you know what? No, I can't to your other side. You just reneged, right? You just said you were going to do something And now you're saying you're not going to do it. So you're not trustworthy. And as hard as that may be for us to accept, that is what that is. You said you would agree to something and then you didn't agree to it. So I say this to my clients is don't ever agree to something unless you think you can do it. 
say, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying. I need some time to think about it. I, I'll let you know. And that is a perfectly reasonable answer and one that is much better for the whole process. Because when you renege, you now increase the difficulty of now trying to get to further agreements and you've eroded the trust of the process. Right. And that makes it more difficult. Yeah. You start chipping away at the foundation and then, yeah, I, I, I can totally relate because I've been there, Susan. I mean, right. I, I had a very hard time. I felt very poorly guided, I would say, because I was, I was kind of alone on divorce Island at that point in my life. Personally, I didn't have friends going through it. And I, you know, I kind of just went on with what my lawyer said, but at the same time, trying to not piss off my ex. And it was a terrible place for me to be. We actually never made it to the mediation table. And I wonder because, you know, I have friends who are mediators who are proud to say, you know what, most of the time my clients don't end up at trial. We, we settle and we're good. What does it take to stop the ball at mediation and not let it roll into the courtroom? Well, it depends. There's a couple of different paths to mediation, right? So there's the mediation that I think you're referring to, which is you're already involved in litigation or you're both represented by counsel, but at some point in time, you're court ordered because you have custodial issues outstanding to go sit with a mediator. Um, And that's one possible um, avenue. Those are actually statistics say, even when people are ordered to go to mediation, it's about 60 to 65% successful. So even when it's not something that people chose to do, but there's also the possibility of going to a mediator right from the very beginning of your divorce and working through the entire process where you may have attorneys, many people do, but they're not actively involved in the negotiation and the discussions that you have with your mediator. And this is where I think many people need to shift their focus. And, you know, this is where they can avoid so much, so much drama Save so much. I mean, it again, things I wish I knew. How much more successful is that process? That's between 80 and 90% successful. Wow. Yep. You know, and infinitely less expensive, infinitely faster, infinitely less stressful. I'm not going to tell you it's not stressful to sit in a room with your ex and talk about these things, but you have a third-party facilitator, a neutral person who's knowledgeable on all these subjects, like me, I'm a mediator and an attorney, but to help you have these conversations. So unlike what you were talking about, where you're sitting at a kitchen table talking to your ex and one person might be feeling a little bulldozed or a little just you know, I'm going to just say yes to get this over with. Your mediator is there to actually help you have that conversation. We're, we're trained in that and skilled at that. And also just to, to make sure that as you're moving through that process, both parties are supported in making fully informed decisions, not making decisions out of fatigue, fear, and that sort of thing. So it brings a, an additional layer to the process that helps you, you know, your mediator helps you identify the issues, which you just, you said earlier, and I love the phrase, you were alone on divorce island. Yes. Right? Your mediator is your, you know, your guide on divorce island. Your mediator is there to help you identify all of the issues that you have to resolve, help you understand the neutral law around that and help you brainstorm what might work best for your case 
with the two of you with a goal of trying to come at something that works the best as it possibly can for both of you and certainly your children. And so it's the complete opposite of being out there on Divorce Island by yourself. And it's different from being on Divorce Island where you each have a guide and your guide's goals are to get what your their client wants, right? That's what litigators do. That's what your attorney's job is, is to advocate for what you want or what you say you want. Because frankly, I hate to tell you people, but half the time you're half out of your minds and, and emotional. You don't even really know what you want. No, but this is what you need to, you need to talk about that because we're coming into this. It's, 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 I always say divorce and co-parenting, it's like all so ironic, right? Like you're, you just want to part ways with this person, but you have to be embroiled in this back and forth for God knows how long. You have to find a way to agree, to disagree, to get along. To, I mean, it is just, and, and we're all coming into it hot and heavy and emotional. And that's where my clients come to me and they say, I'm scared. I have a client call first thing tomorrow morning because her attorney is sending the, the filing of the divorce papers to his attorney and she's freaking out about his reaction. And, and, and it's all about reactions and emotions at this point. And that's where it feels, it's not true people, it feels like you'll never reach an agreement, but you do. Eventually it happens. More than 95% of divorce cases, I think it's closer to about 97 or 98% go forward with an agreement. Almost 100%, right? There's two or 3% of divorce cases that actually have to have a judge make the final decisions for you. 97% of people manage to somehow come to an agreement. And the only way to come to an agreement is some sort of a negotiation. <laughs> right. Can you- Right, so it's successful. What, I, I, I'd love to learn these statistics about, about everything that goes on behind the scenes because these are things I didn't know, but- can you tell us about maybe one or two wins you've had where you thought, oh my God, this is going to be the most difficult couple I've ever experienced. We're never going to get anywhere here. Can you give us like a little, you know, make us laugh, tell us about it? Yeah. You know, we all have those cases. I've had the the McCoys and the Hatfields. I've had the cases where people have you know, thrown water on each other in the room. I stopped having food in the room because someone threw a donut at me once um, in a mediation. <laughs> I ended up with like, I was, sitting, I was wearing a beautiful white blouse too and they threw a jelly donut at me and it was literally like, you know, a movie where it went splat on my chest and then slid down with a little like, strawberry jelly. Oh no, I hope you know. they for your dry cleaning. Oh, they certainly did. <laughs> I may be a mediator, but I'm still a lawyer. So, <laughs> But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of those cases where, and I think this goes back to that emotional content that you were just talking about. The, the most difficult aspect of divorce, honestly, is the fact that you are called upon to make these truly important decisions in your life. And you are going to make them at a time when you're practically insane with emotion. Truly lovely, wonderful, nice people have done the stupidest, <laughs> nastiest things. I have, I've, you know, the dog poop in the shoes and the clothes on fire and selling the motorcycle for a dollar. And I mean, all of the cliches, everything you've ever seen in a movie Trust me, in 30 years of being a divorce attorney, I've seen it. People have done these things. They actually do them. And these are people that in their normal, sane mind 
are lovely people, intelligent people, but there is something about not only going through the emotional content of divorce, rejection, hurt, betrayal, breach of trust, all of those of anger, fear. Fear is by far, I would say, the number one emotion people fear feel. Um, and then being called upon to be called upon to be sane, right? You need to make important decisions that seems to really just drive people out of their minds. And they 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 don't have it's a very difficult time for people. So I've seen, you know, cases where people have been court ordered to come to me to talk about their case, where I've had people who will sit, won't refuse to be in the same room together, who will sit literally like facing the other side of the room and won't look at the other person. You know, I've had all of those, but they've, but they've almost all at some point out of either self-preservation or just a desire to have it be done, turned around come to the table. And I've even had some of those that started off really acrimonious where they like left the mediation, you know, like hugging and hugging me, hugging them, them, each other and, and going forward in a, a new way, you know, I can't help but think of the movie Wedding Crashers and that opening scene where the couple is divorcing. This is how I always pictured mediation. And I knew down here in Miami, when I when it push came to shove and I was almost headed towards mediation, I'm like, I don't want to sit face to face with him and fight over stuff. And, and my husband now was like, that's not how it works. You'll be in separate rooms. But in my head, I have the image of them going at each other over the, you know, the fitness instructor and his new girlfriend. And then at the end, they're like, okay, she can have whatever she wants, you know, and it ends on such a high note. I'm just going to well, imagine a lot of time that that's they what do. happens. Yeah. A lot of times they do just need to get it out. And that happens in mediation a lot. But we do try, you know, one thing about mediation, and I always point this out because it's the vast difference between mediation and litigation. So when you're in litigation, the entire case is based upon what has happened up to that time, right? The litigation is not based upon guessing about what's going to happen in the future or talking aspirationally about what's going to happen in the future. All a judge wants to hear is what has happened up to this point in time? How have you parented up to this time? Who did what wrong? How, who earned the money? Who did what? You know, it's all based upon the past. So when you're getting ready to put a case on before a judge, you're completely and utterly focused on what brought you to this moment in time. When you are in mediation, you are one, almost 100% focused on what exists today and where you're going from here. And to me, that says it all because the past is done. You aren't going to change it. You aren't going to, in a courtroom, get justice for the wrongs and the hurts that you may feel that happened to you. Um, you aren't going to be made whole for whatever went wrong in the past. But if you're focused forward and thinking about where you would like to go and what you would like to see your new future be, you can actually create something new and something that works better for you and for your family. And that truly, to me, is the, the big difference and the biggest benefit of mediation. Forward thinking, looking forward, get out of the past. What's done is done. I love that. 
So now if you were going to give any piece of advice to our moms or dads that are listening, um, who are just starting this process, trying to get their ducks in a row and start figuring out what they want, what's important to them when it comes time to negotiation, what advice would you give? You know, I would start with the doing that research, do you know, be preparing yourself, but then sit down. And I always liken this to when I was getting ready to renovate a house and the bill or the architect said, So what's your wish list for this renovated house? What do you want to see in it? And I had never I just wanted a bigger house. I hadn't really thought about what to put in it. And so I started rattling off stuff like a a huge closet and a coffee bar in my bedroom and like crazy silly things. And you know what? That man managed to get most of that stuff into that new house when he renovated it. And so- Oh, it was awesome. I'm telling you the first thing in the morning, you'd hear the coffee bar was like right there. It was wonderful. But that is what you need to do as you go into the divorce. If you go into it as if your future is this black void and you're just going to deal with that when you get there, then you're going to end up negotiating your entire divorce in that black void. And if you know what you would like to see in that future, you can negotiate a divorce that actually helps you get there. I just wrote so that. think forward. Yeah, I like that, the the black void, because that's what it feels like. It's like the great unknown and it's terrifying. And so that is that is really, really, really wise advice. Any good quotes for we'd like to end with a nice quote? You know, I I, I was thinking about that and I'm actually going to use one of my quotes because it's, it's one of the quotes that I truly believe in. It kind of just harkens back to what we were just saying. But divorce is an opportunity. I know it feels to so many people like a loss or an ending, but it truly is an opportunity. I've been there myself and I've been now through the process with hundreds of people. And it is your opportunity to create that new future. And if you can be, you know, take a moment to just look that way, look to that future, truly life after, I think you're a a shining example uh, life can truly be wonderful. Not right now, but like generally speaking. <laughs> well, I think, that, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why you're so wonderful and why women flock to you because you are a shining example of, of what can be. If well, you I can have that attitude. I, and I love the opportunity aspect to it because that's again, shifting your perspective from, Oh my God, this happened to me. Like to, Oh my God there's this whole world out there. How am I going to enjoy this now? You know, even if your husband leaves you, even if you're blindsided deep down, I think, and I can't speak for all women, but friends that I know who have been left, eventually they're like, you know what? I don't think it would have worked out anyway. There was too much of this or not enough that. And, and then you're given this opportunity to start fresh. And how many new beginnings do we get in life? Not many. So I love that perspective, everybody. Divorce is an opportunity. You can't change what's happened, but you can definitely make the future great. Susan Guthrie, making futures great again. You are. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you are. You really are something special. And I'm so glad that our paths have crossed and aligned and now we're intertwined in all sorts of interesting ways. Um, you're fantastic. Where can everybody find you? Oh, thank you. Well, I I have uh, my website is uh, divorceinabetterway.com. 
which has a lot of videos and free resources for people trying to you know give them the benefit of my 30 years of experience. Um, and then I do have the podcast, which is the Divorce and Beyond podcast, um, which I'm going to have you on on very soon. And um, that is Divorce and Beyond Pod. Dot com or it's available on all all, all your uh, major podcast outlets. And it's not often that I'm going to promote another divorce podcast because <clears throat> this is a divorce podcast, but it is so informative. I send people there all the time to listen. You know, there's there's no one way to give advice and and I'm big on collaboration and and you really pushed me into the space, Susan. You know that, right? Oh, uh, well, I, I told you when we talked, I'm like, if there's anyone who should have a podcast, it's you. But your advice and your guests are creme de la creme. I mean, really, really, really helpful for anybody who needs advice, who's thinking of hiring an attorney, a mediator, wanting to do it themselves and whatever it is, listen to the Divorce and Beyond podcast, if nothing else. Um, And then, you know, you can always follow Susan on Instagram and be inspired by her every day like I am. Thank you. That's Susan Guthrie-esque, E-S-Q. But, and I, I always tell people to follow you. That's actually because I'm always putting your posts in my stories and saying, follow her. Because I love. no one says it quite like you do. I love it. <laughs> it you. makes my day. Thank you. Thank you. You know what will make my day when this pandemic is behind us and I can finally meet you in person for like, you know, some sort of big hug and a drink or whatever it may be. Absolutely. I'll, I'll come to you. I love Miami. Please come on down. The water's on. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, you know what to do. If you need me, you know where to find me. If you want to find Susan, I urge you. In fact, I beg you to reach out to her, even just say hello. She's a great tool for your divorce toolbox. Keep on listening. Keep sending your questions and keep sending the love. Stay strong. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.